Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is the first Spanish woman to row an ocean, Victoria Miko. Hi, Victoria. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Victoria Miko Egea and I am 31 years old. I am from Spain, but I have been in the UK for over 10 years now, which is a long time. So I moved to the UK for nine months, actually, to do um, a year abroad at Leeds University. And um, then one thing took me to another thing. And I've now been nearly five years working for the public sector in the UK. And um, well, essentially, I, I rode the Atlantic. <laughs> Last year, in 2020, um, so I entered uh, with a team of four at uh, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge uh, in 2020, yes. So we departed from La Gomera on the 12th of December 2020 and got to Antigua on the 27th of January uh, in 2021. We were, as I said, four. So the name of my team was uh, Generation Gap and we were a mixed team, so two female and two male, one of them of the mail was my partner, uh, Ed, and the other two members were my friend Brittany, uh, who I met at university in Leeds, uh, and her dad, Stan. And the name of the team, Generation Gap, came from the fact that there was a 31-year difference between the eldest, that was Stan, and the youngest member of the team, Britt. And this is, this is how we coined, we coined our, our, our name, really. Uh, so it took us uh, 45 days and 21 hours to cross the Atlantic. Um, so we had um, a variety of conditions, I suppose, like um, any rowing team. Uh, we were hoping to do it in less than 50 days. So that, that was pretty good for us. Why did you want to row across an ocean? <laughs> well, that is a really good question. And a question that I have been asked quite a few times since I started saying back in 2018 that I was going to row the Atlantic. So let me let me just try to unpack that. The real reason why I rode the Atlantic was because my friend Britt said that she was going to row an ocean and she did ask if I wanted to come. So we discussed this, you know, like distance happen in a garden. It was summer, not real commitment here. Oh, I'm going to do something amazing. Would you like to come type thing? And of course, I want to come and do something amazing. And so this is how I kind of got into it. And it is something that I had in the back of my head for a few months. But of course, I didn't really do anything about it. Not, not because I didn't want to do it, but simply because it was something that sounded really exciting. But I didn't necessarily think that I could do it. Despite I committed to it, I know it's weird. So a number of months later, I, I got kind of a follow-up from Brit saying, well, you know, this is certainly going to happen. Uh, I have a project ongoing. I have, well, probably I have some funding secured. Uh, we are thinking about getting a boat. So anyway, we need to talk about it quite seriously. And would you like to come and discuss? And of course I wanted to. So the plan was firmed at a meeting in Leeds and I got told that um, Britt's dad, Stan, was, was in the team and then another friend of um, Britt um, was also going to do it. So we were four. But somehow that meeting changed and then we ended up being five because Ed, my boyfriend, was also asked if he wanted to come and of course he, he couldn't miss it, right? So I think... The idea of rowing an ocean sounded exciting because so it sounded sounded really exciting because well it, it is not something that you hear everyone has done it before 
and is a significant challenge, something that could really show yourself what you're capable of. So how far you can get, how far you can push yourself. Having rowed at uni as well with, with Brit and with, with other team members back in the day, I'd really grown a taste for kind of pushing myself to the limit and um, coming from not doing any sporting at all to getting really addicted by rowing. It was a really good opportunity to kind of take this to the next level. So yeah, um, it just basically show myself that I could do something like this and of course secure a life experience that, that couldn't really be replicated uh, in any other way really other than rowing an ocean. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. So here we are. We have, you know, two years on our backs of campaign and putting together web pages, talking to people and sharing our stories, social media, yeah, a variety of things. And then here we are. We are in Lagomera. We set off. Uh, we're going to roll the Atlantic. It's going to happen. So we don't know what's going to happen. And I think we were quite naive at the time. So really, when I think back, about three highlights of the crossing it is it's difficult because there are quite quite a few phases during the crossing so you you set off and you're super excited and at some point in the middle you are kind of uh, that that excitement is fading and you are excited to get to the other side but at the same time you want to make the most of the experience so you don't want to forget why you're there and see the special things in it so um I was just having to think about what highlights I would share. And I'm going to go for three perhaps unusual ones. So I've not always highlighted this, but these are things that I remember now and bring me joy. So one, the first one was um, jumping in the water. So the water out there is crystal blue and the hot, it's really hot. So the boat you're rowing and you're sweating and you're salty and jumping in that fresh water that is just crystal blue everywhere. You can see miles or whatever it is around you in all directions. You see fish, they are around you underneath. And that really brought me a sense of freedom that I didn't really get when I was in the boat. You feel clean, you feel refreshed, you feel really liberated. So you're escaping the boat as well. Uh, you feel part of the ocean. And it's something that I remember really fondly. And I wish I would have done more as well, because we were we were racing, but we were not necessarily, you know, it was not a matter of our priority. So so it was something that, that we had considered, but, but not something that was driving us. And I wish I would have spent more time time just relaxing out of the boat particularly in those days of kind of like lake like crystal waters where there was just not a ripple uh, but anyway we, we did it we did it and often enough and I, I do remember that really fondly the second one is eating fresh fish so ed um, brought, brought some fishing line and some hooks and he gifted us with some fresh fish on Christmas Day and then another couple of occasions later on. And breaking the routine of the dry ration packs, dehydrated food, and even the wet packs, just like essentially canned food, having fresh fish that we had actually cooked lightly uh, using the jet boil with a bit of olive oil. It was just such a reward. And I was just so happy. And I do remember eating this with such a smile on my face. And it was just such a, such a different thing to do as well. It was really enjoyable. And the last thing, uh, a lot of people talk about wildlife and talk about your usual dolphin and we had a lot of time we were really really grateful about that but really I'm gonna go for birds so birds gave me a sense of 
not being alone a lot more than things that you see at sea uh, that come from the sea, like whales and dolphins and all of that is super cute. Don't get me wrong. Uh, well, not all of them are super cute. Some of them are, I don't really. But, you know, seeing the birds, remembering that they also came from dry land, just like we did, either from the land that we left. So we were not the only stupid ones that had are doing this. And also when we were further down the line, uh, closer to Antigua, we had... Obviously, birds coming from the other side. And it was a reminder that we were coming from somewhere and going to somewhere, which sounds a bit silly now, but it was quite profound back then. So I almost felt like they were there to remind us that we belonged elsewhere. And so yeah, it was, it was always a, a really, a really happy time when we saw a different kind of bird and we um, fantasized about, you know, them coming from an island or coming from kind of faraway lands and why are they here and what are they getting? So just like the way. I don't know, it was a way of feeling protected in a way. And yeah, I, I, I was, we almost named, well, in fact, we did name some of the birds that did um, come with us for a few days. And it was, it was, it was just very sweet to see someone else that belonged to where we did. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? I think it would be no surprise for anyone listening to this that certainly the biggest challenge in rowing an ocean is mentally so physically obviously you you are repeating something for a long time and it's demanding in parts of your body but you can do it at a pace that is comfortable for you depending on how competitive you are you can even stop and do something else have more rest change your pattern so there is a lot of play in how you manage your rowing across an ocean and from a physical perspective but the mental perspective, like that kind of psychological aspect, is a lot more difficult to manage. And there is little you can do if you're not prepared for it because it's in your head. And people can talk you out of it or try to talk you out of it. But the feeling that it gives you is, is a lot more difficult to manage. And I did definitely find out. So you start, as I was saying earlier, you start and you're really excited. It's an adventure. You've been preparing for this for a really long time. And when you are starting to get tired, let's say middle of your row you are extremely far away from where you're coming from and you're also extremely really really far away from the place you are heading to and you're really fed up with everything already so you are ready for fresh food you're ready to stretch your legs you're ready to see your family you're ready to have access to the world you know we had satellite phones and internet but it's not the same as being connected I really miss the internet when I was out there as well. Um, and then you're tired of, of all these things and all the routine and, you know, you're not sleeping well. And you, you just want to break that. But at the same time, you are, you know, days, weeks away from your destination. So that is really difficult to manage. I think my lowest point was when we were about kind of 750 miles to go. Because when you follow, um, we obviously follow the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge races in previous years. And then you can't stop thinking about it. And then the guys are still rowing down. And even if you don't check what they're doing, they still are moving towards Antigua. <laughs> and you don't see that. But when you're in the boat and you're 750 miles to go, you have to suffer every single one of those miles when you're already tired and desperate to get out. And it's so close, but at the same time, it's so far. And it's not like you do this in an afternoon. You don't forget about it. You're there, you live it, you breathe it. And... It seems that it's just going to be done over a weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. You will kind of we kind of get there. It's a lot easier to, you know, 
leave a place and get further than get closer to mentally for some reason. So yeah, that was definitely my low point and I did really struggle to keep it together because I had a countdown and the days couldn't go down enough and I was just tired. At the same time, you know, it's not that I was in misery all the time. Like most of the time I was just having a good time and enjoying being in the ocean, enjoying my team, enjoying whatever wildlife sites we we were lucky to have. But at the same time, you know, whenever I got in my cabin, I was uncomfortable. I was dirty. I was ready to be in my room or elsewhere, anywhere other than that cabin. And it's hot and whatever. So, yeah, 750 miles has started being quite a talk for me um, manage uh, from, from that mental perspective. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? When I was at sea... I miss a lot of things, to be fair. The question really is about things. So I'm, I'm just going to avoid talking about people again, because <laughs> we just said things. But I think my top one, and this is going to sound a bit silly, maybe, but my top thing I missed was fresh bread. Just being able to have real baked bread from the bakery, crunchy, that kind of real carb filling was something that I really, really missed. You know, we had crackers and some some kind of toast like bread just packed but it is never the same um and, and the feeling of fresh food yeah of course i miss vegetables and all of that but at some point you're just so desperate for real carbs that are going to keep you going and your body's asking you for that so for me that in my head materialized as oh my god i'm desperate for fresh bread so um yeah that that is definitely my top one and then my second one really close you know quite quite up there as well being able to wash my hands with running water and have that feeling of cleanliness at the end so showers of course yes I missed but for some reason I never necessarily thought about these explicitly in real life outside of the road my hands being dirty really give me a feeling of dirty body so I was I did try, I did wash my hands using water from my water bottle, but it's not running, right? You kind of like get them wet and use a bit of soap. But at the end of the day, they like get sticky and your skin is like peeling, but you're not rubbing it enough to go off in certain places of your hands. So I was very desperate to wash my hands when when, um, we were out there. And certainly the first thing I did when we got to Antigua. And then the third, the third thing I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose for this is a dry bed. So something I, I, I don't know. I kind of knew, but I didn't put this in words before we set off. And that is the fact that everything when you're out there rowing is a little bit damp. So it's not super wet. It's not dripping at water, but everything is just ever so slightly uncomfortably damp. And so the bed is definitely one of them. Your mattress in the cabin, um, as you obviously swear, I know it's a bit unpleasant, but you swear on air and then you come in wet with seawater uh, and then you use it for a lot of things. So you sometimes eat on the mattress that you've got in the cabin and so on. So obviously it gets, it just gets a bit soggy, right? So um, having dry liner <laughs> or dry mattress really anything that was a dry bed uh, sounded absolutely delightful in my head so that that was something I, I really missed as well what training did you do before your row we decided that we were going to row the Atlantic about 
two years, but really seriously, a year and a half before the race started. So we had a kind of a, a, a usual period there to to get ready physically. We didn't come from zero, so the four of us, perhaps three, is done a little bit less. But hey, um, so the, the the all of us did have our routines of fitness, and we would do exercise regularly throughout the week in normal life, not non kind of preparing to run ocean. So we moved into um, a, a program uh, where we had a mix of strength and mobility and then later the um, kind of stamina resistance building. And then we also mixed some activities that we enjoyed doing most. So some of us enjoyed running. Uh, I very much enjoy less meals uh, program. So I did body pump when I was able to. That was before the pandemic. Uh, then obviously um, things changed because then COVID hit and we were doing much of these in the gym and suddenly we were in lockdown and we were unable to train all together. We were located in different places, but still we had the ability to you know meet for a weekend, go to the gym, catch up and that kind of fitness level things. So that didn't exist anymore. And we moved to training at home. So for me, I panic bought some gym equipment and set up a gym in my garage and that was really exciting so much so that I've not actually gone back to the gym ever since because I secured su- sufficient equipment um throughout the month not just that time it was it was quite difficult at the time but um eventually we were able to basically secure everything we needed for our, our home gym and I not renewed my membership so interesting enough uh, when we were doing this, this mix of strength mobility, obviously moved uh, from doing it in a gym setup. So uh, from from that gym setting to um, home um, exercising, we're talking about exercising about six days a week, five six days a week, and that usually would go on for one one and a half to two hours per day uh, on the days that we were working out. And then this, and the the, the day that we were resting, we'd usually do some kind of. Um, mobility or yoga or something like that just to keep it going and then so towards the end uh, of our campaign when we were in the last kind of few weeks before we set off we focused a lot on mobility so we did loads of yoga and kind of just ensuring that our body was not solid kind of rock solid and that we were able to you know do most twists and um kind of our joints were ready to take what we're going to give them so uh, that is certainly something i would do again in fact that is almost set up um a, a yoga routine in my life so we did a lot of this before we set off and i really missed it as well when we were in in, in the middle of the ocean and I picked it up again when we got to Antigua and it's something that I've continued doing just because the kind of the feeling that, that the flexibility exercises give you and how that improves your general kind of posture and well-being is something that I really enjoyed. So that that perhaps is really something I've taken away from it as well. And um, so I would definitely recommend um, for people thinking about rowing an ocean uh, mobility, I would make it a focus from the beginning because it's, it's really important. Uh, what really makes the most difference uh, when you're training to row an ocean is the time you do in the water. So for us, we did do a five-day long row where we did our two-hour on, two-hour off shift that we're expecting to do um, in a real race. And that really helped us with knowing what the pains were, knowing where we're straining muscles or how the joints were reacting. So that was really helpful. And I think that is what if I was to row on another ocean, then I would definitely try to schedule as much time in the water as possible because the gym gives you something, but it's not the same as the time in the water does. And I think that if you want to do very well rowing an ocean, then the time in the water is what is ensuring that, you know, your chances of success are the highest possible. 
Did you suffer with any injury, sores, nasties or sickness? I did not suffer any injuries during the row, no. Uh, we were very lucky uh, that none of the team members did really. Just just minor things and some kind of um, pains and muscle strains and so. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad at all for us. So for me particularly, um, hands weren't too bad. I had this system of rotating different hand parts and rowing with my bare hands as well. That worked really well. Then I did struggle a little bit towards the end of the row when we were perhaps three or four weeks in and my hip flexors gave me a bit of trouble. So they would get really painful at times in particular twists and it would be like this really sharp pain feeling that would just give me almost leave me breathless for a second. But it was it was it would just fade, kind of go away without me doing anything. I would try to do a few stretches in the cabin, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad and that I was able to manage it. I, I think it was just making me be more and more rock like. So I think when whenever we got to the island and to Antigua, I could tell that I was not as flexible as I left. And I think that that kind of it was just part of it, right? Like <laughs> solidifying as we went through. Sickness, I did have a little bit when we set up from the Canary Islands. So the conditions were pretty good and it wasn't too dramatic. Um, I was not sick. Uh, I was just kind of uncomfortable. Uh, the only time I was sick in the boat was the first and only time that I insisted in eating inside my cabin. So I'd made a promise not to try this because I anticipated that it wasn't going to be a good thing to do. And in fact, I was trying to eat some dehydrated, not hydrated chicken korma that went overboard. Uh, luckily enough, I had enough time to open the hat, get my head out and overboard, and then I, I fed the fish, bless. Um, but yeah, that was the only time I was real sick, um, not just uh, from, you know, setting off. It did not get me to that point. I did it to myself. Which three songs remind you of your row? Any song really to do with the 50s. So um, Stan, that was a member of my team, he really liked 50s music, not because he's old, but maybe a little bit. So he asked us to bring some non-millennial music. <laughs> So we we we'd set up a Spotify playlist and then our friends kind of contributed to that that playlist and then added songs that obviously we didn't know we had and that was really exciting. But Stan said that not everything could just be music that he didn't recognize. So I'd saved a few 50s playlists on Spotify and it's not something that I necessarily listen to a lot um in my kind of normal life. So yeah, that whenever I listen to anything like this, it really reminds me of really hot afternoons in the middle of the Atlantic. Particularly if I have to give specific examples, I think Elvis can't help falling in love is definitely one of them. And remembering, you know, the team singing that is, is a really fun memory. Um, others, uh, for example, Johnny Cash and Ring of Fire. That also, it was quite funny and also reminded me of kind of all times at university uh, playing Ring of Fire as well. Or anyway, hopefully that not every listener would know what that is. But if you do, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, please don't ever try because it it's a bad idea. There is another song that um, kind of uh, uh, makes me nostalgic, but it's perhaps different. It's not. It's a lot more personal. So um, a friend of mine, I actually don't know yet who did, but um, a friend of mine added a song called K by a group I'd never heard of called Cigarettes After Sex. Nice, nice um, band name, I suppose. And they added this song. I had no idea I had this. And then this morning uh, when we are 
I don't know, rowing. In my head, the Atlantic always had kind of features. So this is um, not a very beautiful morning. It's just not too sunny. The water is kind of a bit temperamental. So the waves are coming from various sides, but they are small enough that they are not messing about with the boat. So we are still moving streamlined, easy flowing, and they are still pushing us. We are surfing some of them. And then this song plays and somehow magically the rhythm of the song aligns with the rhythm of the waves. And I'm there with my earphones. Obviously no one else is seeing what I'm seeing with what I'm listening. And everything seems just so perfectly coordinated. And the song is so beautiful as well. So very rich harmonies with a very peace kind of um, nostalgic lyric. And I, I, I absolutely loved it. And it is a memory that belongs to that song. And even if I've tried to listen to the same song again, I remember that feeling, but it doesn't make me feel the same way. It is always interesting with these memories. So yeah, that, that was, um, that was a, a very nice, nice memory. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? So coming out of rowing an ocean is, I suppose, it's different experience, a different experience for everyone. For me, I was very ready to think about something else. So this adventure had basically dominated my life for two years. It'd been nonstop thinking about it. And now I just spent 45 days continuously executing my, you know, my adventure. So I was very ready to leave it for a bit. Also, you get to Antigua because we were part of the race. There was a lot of media. There was a lot of chats. All your friends want to know how it's been, which is lovely. And obviously the support that, that you receive is, is grand and is, is like nothing else. But I was very ready to be on my own. I was very ready to go home, have no noise around me and just think and remember. So I did suffer from post-adventure, but at first I didn't necessarily miss it. I was ready to forget it, which is, you know, different to all the things I've heard from people before. Things that I did to deal with it, you know, if you remember earlier, I was talking about the things I missed. So I basically took action to not to miss those things anymore. So I bought a bread maker. So now I could just have <laughs> all the fresh bread I wanted all the time. So I, that was, that was a really funny thing. So in fact, we bought it when we were still in Antigua and organized the delivery to coincide with the day we were arriving back home in the UK. So we were also, uh, the UK was also in lockdown at the time. So it was just perfect, right? Because it's not that I could just buy fresh bread freely all the time. So, um, you know, the fresh bread kind of came to me and uh, it was great when we arrived and there was a box with a bread maker outside of my house. So yeah, that, was, that was awesome. Another thing that I did uh, when um, I came back home was just invest in top quality bedding. Because also, if you remember earlier, I was talking about how much I enjoyed my bed, well, how much I missed my bed and how much I wanted it to be dry and, you know, be able to enjoy a, a, a long night of sleep. And so uh, I just invested in, in top quality bedding and is something that I've not regretted for a single moment. Well, yeah, when I paid for it, but then it definitely paid for itself and it was well worth it and I would do it again. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? I actually hate this question because as someone that has rowed an ocean, I think 
much of the advice that you're given in good spirits and people really generally try to help. A lot of the advice is distracting. And a lot of people talk about how exciting some of the things are, but very few tell you how shared they get sometimes as well. And even if they do, I don't think people are ready to truly reflect on what that means and how that is going to make them feel because you cannot prepare for that in a way. So to future rowers, I'll say, just be realistic. It's not all going to be dolphins around you and it's not going to be sunny all the time. That is something I've really come to learn in the hard way because if you think about it, the charts are always sunny and it's not true. And when you're out there in the ocean, it's dark and it's wet and it's miserable and you want to be elsewhere and you need to be honest with yourself. I almost started to think that I was the only one having a shit time at times and it's not true you know, other teams were in the same position or the teams that were racing at the same time. Your team members also have these flaky moments. And I think doing your preparation, you need to be honest that it's going to be exciting. But at the same time, some days you're going to feel like hell and you want to, you will want to, you know, get out of there and you'll wonder why on earth you do this and you'll think I'm never going to do this again. So just be prepared for that. I think that would be my advice. Uh, there would be a lot of roses, but there would be a lot of, you know, rotten roses. And finally, would you do it again? So yes, the the answer is yes, absolutely. And I think what probably stops me from making it happen right now is that the process to get to that point is a really long one. And you really need to invest a lot at a personal level. So it's not like you can decide this afternoon, yes, I'm going to bring back all of those feelings and I'm going to go and, you know, crack on and have it again. You need a two-year plan. You need a lot of money raised. You need loads of personal time, loads of commitment from your family as well, in a way. So yes, I would do it again. If anyone, well, you know, if I was to be asked now, do you want to jump in this boat and come? I'll say yes, absolutely. And I think anyone being asked this question should say yes because otherwise you'll wonder what you what you are missing but it is difficult to make it happen and that is a reality and at the moment I think it's just a, it's, it's just a huge pain that I haven't forgotten about I've forgotten about the pain of rowing you know when I was talking about having low days and thinking why am I here I'm missing my my bed and my bread and so on you forget that and you forget how miserable and desperate you've been at times and you only talk about the just the peaks when you were very happy when you were very sad when you were very scared and all of that does not necessarily bring back the feelings uh, of of the bad feelings no when you really were doubting yourself but yeah I definitely would do it again and I think it's just the commitment that I haven't forgotten about. <laughs> so having to work seven hours and leave work and then go send emails or do social media or contact people or prepare equipment, all of those things are committed and it's fine. And maybe, you know, you'll ask me again next week and I'll be like, yeah, I'm doing it again. But for now, I'm enjoying the kind of having the time for myself and enjoying other hobbies and being able to do different things. So yes, I am... I'm really hopeful that I'll be able to row another ocean, another uh, point in my life. But hopefully someone will organise it for me and I can just pay for it, train and <laughs> turn up. 
but yeah, it's it's an amazing experience and it's something I am so happy I've done. And the feeling of fulfillment at the end is not something that you can get out of a tin. And I think, you know, the preparation is hard, but it is part of it. And it is so rewarding at the end because of all the effort and all the time that you've put in. So, you know, I think you have to go through it to know what, what it really means. But yeah, it's, I can't wait to do it again to be fair. That's really the ultimate answer. Huge thank you to Victoria for sharing her story and all of her advice. You can listen to her teammates, Brittany and Stan, on previous episodes of this podcast. If you're an ocean rower and would like to share your story, get in touch, theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or via Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. And you can now rate it five stars on Spotify too. Like, share and recommend it to all of your friends, please. And don't forget to join us again next week when we will take a solo trip across the formidable North Atlantic. Toodle pip!